0: Hey y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, Sydney Madden, assistant editor at NPR Music, and Scott Horsley, NPR Economics correspondent. All right, let's start the show. Hey y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and both of my guests, Sydney Madden, editor at NPR Music, Scott Horsley, chief economics correspondent for NPR. Both of your first time here. Welcome, welcome, welcome.
1: Great to be here.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Oh yeah! In honor of both of y'all's first visit here, I am playing <laughs> this song for you today. Just turn it up for a little bit.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you know who that is? Will Smith. Yes. Do you know what it's from? Aladdin. Yes.
2: God. <laughs> Yeah. God save.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, we're just halfway through this year, and to mark this milestone this week, we're going to do our best to try to round up not just the past week of news, but the highlights of the last 6 months of news, like 2019 so far. And to start that off, I want to play this song because it speaks to one of the biggest trends of the year for me, and that is Disney remaking all of their classics. This song is a Will Smith cover of Friend Like Me uh, from his reboot starring role in the Aladdin movie this year. You
2: know it's Will Smith and DJ Khaled! Featuring DJ Catlin uh, sacrilegious. Honestly, DJ Khaled <laughs> yeah. had no business in the Disney Empire <laughs> Disney. franchise or anything.
0: So what's crazy, though. It's like I didn't like this movie, but everyone else did. Um, it made 324 million dollars in the U.S. <laughs> it made over 900 million dollars worldwide. And Disney knows this. Um, they're they are coming out with even more reboots in the next year or two. So we're gonna see the n- new Lion King movie later on this month or next month. It's soon, right? It was it's this out. month.
2: It's actually next weekend, July oh 19th or July 18th when it comes out and they just dropped the soundtrack for that one and Which that's is, got Beyonce there's a few flat notes on there but uh, <laughs> Beyonce holds her own But well uh, of course of course Beyonce Donald Glover Billy Eichner Seth Rogen Seth Rogen singing guys it's, I a, it's a whole new world
0: <laughs> A whole new world But there's a long list of further upcoming Disney reboots They're going to reboot Mulan, 101 Dalmatians, Peter Pan There's also going to be a Tinkerbell movie A Pinocchio reboot, Snow White, Cinderella Tinker Tinkerbell gets a spin-off? Yes, yes, everyone gets a spin-off with a new Disney Wow Do we feel good about these Disney reboots?
1: They're just too many in my opinion you know, I'm I'm old enough that I didn't see the first go round.
2: <laughs> I am cautiously optimistic about these reboots because some of them present the opportunity for a nice um, retelling of a story in a new renaissance of representation. Yeah, The Little Mermaid. It was just announced that Halle Bailey who is one half of the duo Chloe and Hallie? She's a young African-American girl with beautiful dreadlocks. She's going to play the, the title role of Ariel. Yeah. And on Disney's part, I think it's a little lazy because they're not coming up with new storylines. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. if they're going to remix the originals, giving yeah. new faces an opportunity to shine is always a good thing in my book. I'm always going to root for that.
0: yes Tell me whatever you need. Anything range, Even climate can change. You ain't never had a friend like me. All right, as I said earlier, we are going to try to make sense of this year of news the best we can. It's a big task, but we punch above our weight here on the show. So in that spirit, I'm going to ask both of you panelists to describe not just your week of news in three words, but the year so far on your beats in three words. You can do it. I believe in you. Scott, you're up first.
1: My three words are cloudy crystal ball. Okay. Okay. Because I'm, you know, I started a new beat this year in uh-huh. in March as uh, economics reporter here at NPR. Mm-hmm. I, I had been covering no, 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 the White House, chief economics correspondent. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> I'm the only economics correspondent, so, I get, <laughs> so I that to automatically the makes you a chief. <laughs> yes, yeah. Exactly, yeah. the chief of one, uh, but. Uh, I, I've been covering the White House, and and one of the reasons I I was sort of interested in taking on this new responsibility was I do feel like we're at a moment, and it's mm-hmm. a it's a drawn out moment where mm-hmm. the economy is kind of at an inflection point, you know, and and uh, the, the old line about economics is you know you can you can forecast by looking in the rearview mirror, and that works fine as long as you're going in a straight line, but as soon as there's huh. some twists and turns then your crystal ball comes in handy. And and right huh. now the crystal ball is a little, little cloudy because we don't know quite which way the twists and turns are going to take us.
0: Yeah. Well, this is the thing that I keep asking myself halfway through, through this year. Um, on the one hand, there are all of these numbers that seem to indicate the economy is very strong and it has been strong for a few years now. But it still feels like a lot of Americans don't feel it in their everyday lives. And there seems to be some disconnect, like a best of times, worst of times,
1: at the same time with the economy right now, Scott? Yeah, I mean we we are starting to see real gains even for folks who are kind of at the bottom of the income ladder who'd been maybe the most left behind by the economic growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just as we start to see those gains, now there's some storm clouds on the horizon. The, The global economy is slowing down. We've got all these trade wars that we're fighting. I think most forecasters think we're going to continue to see a growing economy and continue to see a solid labor market, but it's maybe going to be a little slower and a little bumpier than it's been in recent years. How do we think about and process
0: Trump's involvement in all of this? In some ways, he inherited a very good economy, uh, but also a lot of the things he's doing as president, people were saying this could wreak havoc on the global economy and it kind of hasn't yet. I'm talking about the trade war. What's up with that, Scott?
1: Well, it's a good point. The president is he's obviously he's running for re-election now and he mm-hmm. occupies a, a lot of space here in Washington. He takes up a lot of oxygen in in don't in, in, in DC and and yeah. maybe around the country. Yeah. Uh, he's obviously active on Twitter. He's got a big megaphone and he touts his economic record. Uh, In some ways, you can say that he did inherit a good economy and more or less just kept things on a stable course. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the trade war. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It has definitely uh, shaken things up. Most economists will say the cost of the president's tariffs are being passed on to consumers, even if Mm -hmm. they're more or less hidden in the price of everyday items. And Mm -hmm. it's not not something where you're really feeling the effect in your pocketbook. Had we seen an escalation in the trade war with China in particular, Mm -hmm. Uh, then you certainly would have seen it uh, in consumer prices. Had the president followed through on his threat to put tariffs on all the Mexican imports, you would would have 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 seen it at the supermarket. So
0: then good economy, but big questions and possibly some storm clouds coming. What should we be watching for the rest of this year to try to figure out where all this shakes out?
1: I think you're gonna to want to keep an eye on the GDP numbers. That's the mm-hmm. that's the biggest indicator of our national economic output. Mm-hmm. If growth dips down to two percent and kind of stays in that mm-hmm. range, that that suggests that all that tax cut money uh gave us a, a short surge in the economy, but that it's not gonna be extended. So that's mm-hmm. that's one thing to keep an eye on. The other, of course, for working people is what happens with wages. We've been seeing yeah. wages grow. If we can sustain that, or maybe accelerate it, that's that's a good sign. Yeah. If if it drops back, then that's not so good.
2: Can I ask a question real quick? Of course. How, how could the average layperson keep track of these GDP numbers?
1: Well, you just gotta stay tuned to NPR. I'll be <laughs> I'll be talking about them. I'll be talking about them. Yeah. <laughs> nice plug. <laughs> <Damers> <laughs> plug. I
2: learned so much in that Learning. amount of time.
0: Sydney, I want you to share three words about a particular slice of the American economy that is the music industry.
2: Oh, nice segue.
0: I try. First of all,
2: really nice segue. (laughs) Appreciate it. So I'm going to make my three words consumption, Uh community, and crossroads. Mm. So my first point is going to be consumption. Okay. We're in a moment or a genesis of post-genre music, and that has a lot to do with (laughs) consumption. So to give you an example... Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. (laughs) Gotta queue that You gotta, you gotta do it. The team on this show loves playing
0: this song. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Old Town Road, it really popped off because of the social media platform TikTok. Which Which
0: didn't exist a few years ago. (laughs)
2: Exactly, it was totally revamped. And even the music video for this song, it's an ode to a video game.
0: Yeah, Dead, rede- Red, wait, dead Red Dead, dead. Redemption. <laughs> yes, yeah. Clearly I'm
2: not in the gaming culture, but you know. <laughs> but
0: like Sydney, this has been the number 1 song in the country for 14 weeks.
2: 14 weeks at, yeah. pr- at right now it's 14 weeks and if it spends 3 more weeks at number 1, it is officially going to be the longest running number 1 in Billboard history. Mhm. And I want to make it a point that he's at number 1 how big of a moment this is because let's think about people who put out music this year. Taylor Swift Justin Bieber, Ed Sheeran, Mm -hmm. Drake, he is besting all of these juggernauts out of the number one spot.
0: If he has the number one song in the country halfway through this year, does he and that song Old Town Road kind of symbolize this really big shift in the industry just away from the gatekeepers?
2: Yeah, I would say so. Um, the fact that there's such a DIY spirit to it, and there's also other young acts who are born, again, after the millennium, who are just doing everything on their own terms. Billie Eilish is another yeah. great example who of an I artist. Love. Yeah. She had
0: a hit album this year with, like, two hit singles, and mm-hmm. she, be- she began to make her music, like... At her house with her brother. With her or something? brother, yeah. And they would write it in their bedrooms.
2: Yeah, they would write it in their bedrooms. They would ping pong back and forth between each other's bedrooms, write the music, post it on SoundCloud, and yeah, it just blew up that way. It's all the the ethos of organic consumption and community and discovery has never been stronger.
0: I want Scott to hear this song and see if he likes it. Have you heard Billy Idol? Have you Billie heard Scott? this
1: song? Though? Of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like her She's smooth I also love how she is Just like Nas X Like kind of post genre Like is mm-hmm. this pop Is this hip hop Is this modern goth
1: I don't know mm-hmm. I like it's totally it She's
2: totally redefining The parameters of what a Quote unquote pop star Can look like yeah. Can sound like Can act yeah. like Yeah. Is that what
1: you mean By Crossroads Yes <laughs> Ooh,
2: Look
0: at
1: yeah. that uh-huh.
0: Y'all, I have three words to describe my year of news so far. And they are? They are speedy and vindictive. (laughs) Because I think we're at this point in the culture, in the internet, and our politics, where... I got to tweet something
1: about your your three words.
0: (laughs) There's this rush to end people online when they do anything that we deem is wrong
2: cancel culture
0: cancel culture is alive and well and rampant and there are so many examples there was one really strange example for me uh from earlier this month there was this weird story about this anti-trump protester who goes to an anti-trump rally uh holding a sign depicting the image of that father and daughter who died crossing the border she wanted to draw attention to these deaths of migrants who were dying while crossing. Mm -hmm. Um, For whatever reason, the internet got a hold of a photo of her and that poster and everyone online thought she was a Trump supporter at a Trump rally implying with her poster that those deaths were a good thing. So then all of a sudden the internet jumps on her and tries to dox her and she has to come out and say, no, 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 it's the other way around, but the damage had been done just like that and that is just the tip of the iceberg of instances all throughout this year and last where people for whatever reason become a story on the internet and before we even know the story mm-hmm. and if we know them or not we decide whether we hate them or love them and then it's like a battle
1: mm-hmm. well it and a you know, battle that's a case of clear mistaken identity or mistaken motives I think that the tougher ones are where people are right about the identity and the motives but the reaction might just be Outwindish. out of proportion to yeah. to the crime. Uh, oh yeah, we can't all be just our worst tweet.
2: Yeah, <laughs> context—it's a lot about context and yeah. people's—they—they um, they don't even have an interest in looking for the context. It seems. No. And I will say, in the in the music world, this happens quite a lot, and it mm-hmm. and it's been happening a lot recently with people digging up old tweets. Yeah. And I've noticed it's happened disproportionately with women artists over men. Yeah. And I don't know if that's uh, a commentary on how the Internet treats women over men. (laughs) or, Or, you know, (laughs) the extra chances society gives women over men. But, yeah, it's it's a disturbing trend, to say the least.
0: And, like, it's weird because a lot of this stuff happens online especially on spaces like Twitter and all of the data seems to suggest that Twitter is an especially bad place in which to have these kind of debates because there's so much mistruth on Twitter so Mm -hmm. there was this study in the journal Science a few months ago and it found that False stories usually spread faster than true stories on Twitter. Oh, and sometimes halfway
1: around the world while the truth is putting on
0: its hands. Mm -hmm. And there's sometimes, this uh, study said, that uh, false stories travel 10 times farther and faster than the true ones online. So, why are we all living in this space so much? And, like,. Even this week, you see Donald Trump have a White House social media summit where he brings some of the most incendiary figures of Twitter to the White House. And that, to me, says, buckle up,
1: kids, because this is like where we're at now. Oh, yeah. You know, I heard a kind of inspirational story from our colleague Netta Willoughby on uh, ticker tape parade that they uh, threw in New York City for the women's national soccer team after they came Mm -hmm. home from winning the World Cup and uh you know megan rapinoe obviously the figurehead yeah, of that team has, has been yeah. you know obviously a you know a lightning rod uh an inspiration to a lot of people but also a target for a lot of people netta quoted her at the end of this uh, ticker tape parade telling the crowd you know we all need to listen more hmm. talk less and treat one another like we're all members of the same team i like that i do too
0: All right, it's time for a break. Coming up, we're going to discuss perhaps the biggest political issue of 2019, that is the immigration crisis at our southern border. It seems like the entire country has been talking about this all year, but most of us are not actually there. So we talked to someone, a journalist who is living and working in El Paso, Texas, after the break, and she tells me some of the things that we miss and get wrong about the border. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right
1: back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Gelmar, maker of CLR. For some of life's mucky moments, there's CLR. From soap scum to bicycle rust, CLR gets rid of household grime using natural ingredients, not harsh chemicals. It even carries the EPA's Safer Choice Seal. Use it to dissolve calcium, lime, and rust all around your house. Go to clrbrands.com today to learn more about how to keep your piece of the planet muck-free. CLR, making the world a little cleaner.
0: Support also comes from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com slash minute to learn more. Hey, y'all, Sam here. Well, yeah, obviously. (laughs) Anyways, if you're enjoying this episode of It's Been a Minute, I'm urging you to listen to Life Kit's guide from NPR on how to pay for college. This episode brings you tips on how to plan before you go to college, how to budget once you are at college, and how to pay off those loans once you're out of college. Check out Life Kit's new guide from NPR, How to Pay for College, or just subscribe to Life Kit All Guides and get all their episodes all in one place. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from In. I said that real cheesy.
2: We're back. Here we go. Here we go. It's going to be another scorcher. We're back. All
0: right. All right. <laughs> You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. This week, we're tackling the year that was so far. We're looking back at this first six months of 2019. I'm here with two guests to do that. Scott Horsley, Chief Economics Correspondent for NPR, and Sidney Madden, Editor at NPR Music. Uh, I want to talk now to the both of you about perhaps the biggest political issue of the year, and that's immigration. It feels like, at least to me, it's been everywhere every day, no?
2: Absolutely. It's one of those headlines that continues to grab the news cycle. And I think it's a good thing that it's continuing to grab the news cycle. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's inescapable.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, Scott, you covered the White House for many, many, many years. Have you ever seen one issue so define a White House?
1: Well, this has been defining Donald Trump ever since his opening kickoff speech when he came down the golden escalator.
0: Yeah. You know, we have seen a crisis at the border this year, an an influx of migrants, many seeking asylum, some reports and images of really harrowing conditions. Uh, Politicians on both sides of the aisle have been talking about this stuff all year and last year, too. But even if it seems that immigration is top of mind for all of us right now, there's still a lot that we are missing and not understanding and not seeing. So I want to take some time now to call up someone who is there. Her name is Mallory Falk. She's a reporter in El Paso. She works for NPR member station KERA. Here's our chat. Hi, Mallory.
3: Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Pretty
0: good. Great to talk to you.
3: Good to talk to you, too. Uh,
0: So you live and work in El Paso, right?
3: I do, yes. Okay.
0: Um, How long have you been there?
3: Uh, I've been here about two years.
0: Okay. 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 So, you know, this is one of several cities along the southern border that has become kind of the center of this ongoing immigration debate and crisis. And I'm wondering, for you, having been there two years, on a day-to-day basis, like, how top of mind is immigration and this crisis for the average El Paso resident? And for you, too.
3: I think it's extremely top of mind for the average resident. A lot of people here live lives on both sides of the border. Mm. You know, Don't see El Paso and Juarez as two separate cities with a bright line between them. People have family on both sides of the border and cross for school, for work, to visit family, to go shopping. And so things as simple as um, the increase in wait times to cross the international bridges because customs and border protection officials have been reassigned uh, to other parts of the border really affects uh, people's ability to live their daily lives. And then you also have a lot of community members who've mobilized to provide humanitarian assistance to migrants who've been uh, dropped off in El Paso and in surrounding communities. And so this is really top of mind for them as well as they try to figure out how best to support these families.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, for some time now we've seen these stories of... uh, caravans coming from the south up into texas but you've been covering recently migrants to make it to el paso make it across the border and they've been sent back across and this is a new program uh to send people into mexico to wait to see a judge in the states what is that about
3: so, the idea, you know, the Trump administration is saying this prevents people from um, crossing into the U.S. with weak asylum claims and then disappearing into the country and not showing up for immigration court, even though government data shows that the majority of asylum seekers do show up in court to pursue their cases. Um, but the idea is to, you know, try to keep people in Mexico, some of whom, you know, get court dates several months away Mm -hmm. and, you know, Juarez can be a dangerous city. The murder rate has been climbing recently Mm -hmm. and there are many reports of Central American asylum seekers in Mexico being targeted, Mm. being kidnapped and extorted and held for ransom. And so, Um, Some people are giving up their asylum cases and returning to their home countries, um, and others are just finding it much harder to pursue their asylum claims because it's much harder to get legal representation. Um, And so this is, you know, cutting down on the number of migrants who are in the United States Mm -hmm. um, and potentially who are pursuing their asylum claims.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that residents of El Paso, uh, some of them are, you know, trying to help these migrants. I'm guessing that's complicated when they're being sent just across the border now. How does that work with folks trying to offer assistance?
3: Yeah, so really for about the past nine months since an increased number of migrant families were being released in El Paso, the community had really mobilized to offer humanitarian assistance. More churches and shelters had come forward to house people and volunteers were coming to the shelters to prepare and serve meals, to drop off items like blankets and toiletries and clothing, um, to drive people to the airport and bus stations so they could join their relatives in other parts of the country while they were waiting for their cases to play out Mm -hmm. Um, and you know the thing is when people were in El Paso volunteers could kind of find little pockets of time throughout their day to go make a meal or drop off donations or you know on a work break make an airport run but now because wait times on the international bridge are so long you really need potentially a full day if you want to try to go provide support in the shelters in Juarez and so that's just really prohibitive to a lot of people and because wait times are so unpredictable if you cross over to offer support you really can't know how long it's going to take you to get back into the US
0: you know, we've talked a bit about people in El Paso. We're trying to help these folks, but I'm guessing that there are also people in El Paso that are resistant to this influx. Uh, what do you hear on that side of the conversation from El Paso residents?
3: There's definitely people who have the sentiment of sort of take care of our own first. You mm-hmm. know, El Paso is not a wealthy city. Some of these surrounding cities where asylum seekers have been released, um, also don't have a ton of resources. And so there's this feeling of we already have people here who need support. Why are we directing the resources towards people who, you know, just arrived?
0: Yeah. There are gonna be a lot of folks that hear this interview who say to themselves, I've been following this issue, I read the news. I know what's up. I know how this is playing out. But what is the one thing that people who aren't in El Paso, who aren't there, cannot understand about this crisis from afar?
3: You know, I think the thing I've heard the most when I've talked to folks who are working at the shelters um, is that people need to understand that migrants have a legal right to claim asylum and that many of these people are families with little children. Everyone I've talked to in the shelters, you know, will point to a kid who's, you know, working on a coloring book or or bouncing a little ball around and and just say, you know, I wish you could see up close um, who is here.
0: Mm. Um, If I can ask you to get A little personal for a bit. I know you're a reporter who covers this stuff, you know, by the book, but you're also a person who lives in this place that has become the focal point for one of the more contentious issues of our era. How do you feel in the midst of all this as an El Pasoan? Is that how you
2: say it?
3: Yes, I guess so yeah, I mean it's definitely hard. I think, you know, trying to focus on those stories and find the humanity and find the people who are are working to treat migrants with dignity, you know, that that keeps me going. That reminds me that it's not all grim, but it's also uh, very very hard and and there's definitely been some, you know, crying in the car on my way back from reporting stories. Mm. And yeah, it's 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 very difficult.
0: Mm. Hey, thank you for your work, uh, and thank you for sharing the realities of this place we all talk about but might not really know. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Sam.
0: Thanks again to Mallory Falk. She covers immigration in El Paso, Texas for NPR member station KERA. All right, back in the studio now uh, with Scott Horsley and Cindy Madden of NPR. Hearing that conversation, I mean, what's your reaction to it? It's it's such a heavy story.
2: Yeah, heavy to say the least. And I think a big emphasis of Mallory's Conversation with you is the human toll on all of this. Mm-hmm. You hear it beyond a stat or beyond um, even a photo. Yeah.
0: I mean, there will be children in schools here in Mexico and Central America. These kids will have a lot of serious issues brought about by what they experienced for the rest of their lives.
1: Uh, you know, I used to live in a border city. I lived in San Diego for 14 years. And mm-hmm. uh, like El Paso, that was a city that straddled the border where a mm-hmm. lot of people in town had uh, ties across the border uh, fam- mm-hmm. family ties commercial ties uh, and the militarizing of the border is definitely taking a toll on on those cross-border relations oh, yeah. and one of the things that's kind of interesting here is that the people who are cu- trying to come across now are not necessarily uh, you know they're not they're not from the Mexican side they're obviously not from the US side they're coming from a very distant place and when are under this new policy that the Trump administration has put Forward, where uh, folks are having to wait in Mexico mm-hmm. while they uh, try to get an asylum hearing in the U.S.
2: And the wait times are unpredictable.
1: Very, very long. long. You can and lose
2: your yeah. spot just by trying to go get something to eat. And oh,
1: yeah. and they're 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 still in a foreign country for them. I mean, if you're from Honduras or El Salvador and you suddenly find yourself in Juarez or Tijuana, that's that's an unfamiliar place for you. And you're right, Sam. As much as those of us in the rest of the country are following this in the news Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, you know, it's in our name that these policies are being implemented. Yeah. For most of us, uh, if we don't live along the border, it is happening at a remove. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It is time for a break right now. When we come back, we'll play my favorite game. Who said that? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at
2: waltonfamilyfoundation.org. Next time on Rough
3: Translation, the feeling you get when you quit your job and try to start something new. You're a loser. You're worthless. An entrepreneur from Mexico faces down that taboo and accidentally launches a global community that celebrates stories of failure. The mistakes I was making was part of my journey. Travel with Rough Translation from NPR.
1: Listen and subscribe.
0: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, here with two guests, Sydney Madden, editor at NPR Music, and Scott Horsley, chief economics correspondent for NPR. Usually on the show, we try to make sense of the week of news. This week, in this episode, we are looking back on all of 2019 so far. So in that spirit, my favorite game, who said that, is a little more extreme this week because it's quotes from the entire year. Oh Hit music it's gonna be great it's gonna be extra hard for you all today yeah that's we gotta
1: remember past monday
0: you can do it you can do it um you guys know how this goes i share a quote you tell me who said that uh or get the story i'm talking about or a keyword i'm no stickler no alex trebek the winner of course gets absolutely nothing ready for the first quote yeah yes this one is a fill in the blank so fill in the blank of this quote what Blank calls her KonMari method is actually a folding technique created by me 27 years ago. Marie Kondo.
1: Yes.
2: What? Remember Marie is Kondo? Is she the tidy up woman? Yes. yes. Oh yes. my gosh. Yeah.
0: So Marie Kondo... You know, I have
1: watched her video and I still cannot fold a fitted sheet.
0: I'm not going to spend enough of my life trying to figure it out. I have better things to do. What do you do?
1: do? Just wad it up and throw oh, it yeah. in the door.
0: Wad up that fitted yeah. sheet. <laughs> so uh, we have seen... Marie Kondo become one of the breakout stars of 2018 and 2019. Uh, She had a book all about tidying up, then a Netflix series all about tidying up in which she helped people tidy their spaces, and the heart of her theory was that anything in your house that doesn't bring you joy, Get rid consider of. throwing that out. Right. She also taught this really specific folding method, um, and because nothing good on the internet can stay good, <laughs> now there are allegations that she stole the folding method. Okay. So okay. Linda <laughs> Coopersmith told Page Six uh, that she published a book in 2005, uh, and she shared that folding method first then and she says that she used that method on her TV show Clean House for years and in YouTube videos so in that quote Cooper Smith was saying she stole
1: my look wow. Well, did anybody really think Marie Kondo like invented folding
0: yes a lot of people did <laughs> people love this one. I think she's
1: just the ambassador of folding I don't <laughs> think she's the Marie folding. Curie
0: of folding what She's title? just title I just want to make sure that she ends this year still on top I like Marie leave her alone All right. Scott, you have one point. Ready for the next quote? I'm going to lose
2: this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For this one, just get who they're talking about. Okay? Okay. As a recent new father, thanking horses makes complete sense to me. Exhaustion and delirium have made me do some weird things. What new father thanked horses this year?
2: Prince Harry? Yes. Oh!
0: So there's this really weird moment after Prince Harry and Meghan Markle uh, have their new kiddo. What's the kiddo's
2: name? Archie or?
0: Yeah, Archie. Uh, no comment. Which
1: is going to be Jughead, but they won't <laughs> <laughs>
0: After uh, Meghan Markle gives birth to Archie, in his first public appearance, Prince Harry, looking tired and frazzled as new parents do, he's looking around trying to say thanks to everyone and thanks some horses standing not too far from him. <laughs> it was really strange, but kind of perfectly summed up how hard being a new parent is, even for royalty. Yeah. I forgot the baby happened this year.
2: Me too. I, when you were thinking new fathers, I was thinking, okay, what celebrity is a new <laughs> father? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, you can tell it. Well, Prince way, a
0: celebrity. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He is a yeah. celebrity, yeah, yeah. All right, this game is actually tied We rarely get ties these days, but this is going to be a nice, fun little tiebreaker, and this one's pretty easy. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to wager it all. 'all. Oh my goodness! Daily double, putting twenty thousand dollars on there. Exactly. Okay. Final quote. You ready? Mm
2: Yeah.
0: You can't win a championship without gays on your team. Who said that? I'm going to guess it's Ms. Rapino. Yes. Oh, Cindy, you were so close. I was, so I was just about to say. <laughs> yes, yes. That was I, I think story. it was on
1: the it was on the tip of her tongue. I mean, I, I, we, we'll yeah. share that point. Oh, well, you're so nice. I'm going to treat Sydney like she's on the same team. Aww, Just like Megan oh, Rapinoe told me to. That's
0: right. That's right. So that quote came from Megan Rapinoe, a women's World Cup champion. Uh, she made that quote after the U.S. women's team knocked out France in the World
1: Cup quarterfinal. But she has been well, extremely- Was she suggesting that there were no gays on the French team? <laughs> I don't Maybe know. Maybe that was their problem. Maybe that was
2: it. She yeah. read them.
0: <laughs> but she's been outspoken all year. Uh, she has spoken her mind as that team has been succeeding. Um, Donald Trump kind of tried to pick on her after, I don't know what made him pick on her, but she kind of got the last laugh because she won well, the World she, Cup. Uh, right. she,
1: she, she said that oh, she would not be going to the White House yes. to celebrate if she won. And, yes. and then there were a lot of people sort of said... Yeah, well, back it up. Maybe you shouldn't be saying that until you win. And of course, then they won. My thing with athletes that compete at that level—if
0: you're winning and doing that well—you can do whatever end zone dance you want. You mm-hmm. could like do all the endorsement deals you want because you're like the superhuman. Proof
2: is in the pudding. Absolutely. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Speaking of proof in the pudding, um, both of you won this game. Because Scott said we're going to share Did that we? point between y'all.
2: Uh, yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Sure. Just
0: accept it. Oh, uh, Scott isn't military. Look at
2: that, deletarian. and it was on mic too. You guys
0: are so good at this. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. We ask our listeners to share with us the best things that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do. Anjali, Brent, hit the tape.
3: Hey, Sam. This is Mary from Maryland. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I got to spend it in the Canadian Rocky Mountains with my mom. I just graduated college, so it was really nice to spend quality time hiking and kayaking with my mom before I go out into the real world. Have a good weekend. Hey Sam, this is Alex from Nebraska. The best part of my week was receiving my final grade for my first class of graduate school. Getting this A makes me think I can actually do this.
1: The best thing that happened
3: to
0: me this week was finding out that my wife Shelby has been offered a full assistantship to go to grad school at Ball State University this fall.
3: The best part of my week was visiting my wife, who just moved to LA. A friend of ours took us swimming in some canals that run to the ocean, and we had an impromptu water balloon fight with some kids that lived there. The best part of my week was I directed my first week of summer camp. I'm getting ready to drive into the mountains way up north where I'm going to pick up my two kids from sleepaway camp.
1: Today, I dropped off my daughter at Camp Twitch and Shout. Uh, that's a summer camp just for kids who have Tourette Syndrome. So I'm so excited for her to get to spend a whole week doing all the fun things that you do at summer camp without worrying about people asking her questions or telling her to be quiet and just being
3: a kid. Hey Sam, this is Eunice from New York City where I've had the pleasure of being foster mom to a beautiful four-month-old puppy named T-Boz, as in TLC. And the best part of my week is when my dear friend came to visit me from Baltimore and after spending one day with the puppy, decided to adopt sweet T-Boz. So in two weeks, I get to drive down and present her two children with their first brand new puppy. Thanks for the great work you do. Love your show. Take care. Have a great week.
0: I'm realizing I've never been to summer camp.
2: Really?
0: And now I want to go. Oh. Is there summer camp for adults? I would so go.
2: I think that's sabbatical. Yes, yes Or or being fun employed
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah yeah. Uh, Anywho, thanks to all the listeners you heard there Mary, Alex, Tim, Katie, Lindsay, Shannon, Catherine, and Eunice Um, All of you share so many great best things every week We appreciate them all Keep them coming in And listeners, if you have any tips on adult summer camp I'm serious, let me know I would do that Would y'all do that? Y'all would do that
2: I would definitely do that
0: Okay, good, good, yes all right, listeners, keep those best things coming in. Just record the sound of your voice and then send that audio file to me via email at samsanders at npr.org. sanders at npr.org. Um, it's time to say goodbye to you all, and I'm going to play... A song that's not quite a winner, but we're still gonna play it. I'm gonna bring back DJ Khaled and Will Smith singing their rap remix of the Aladdin classic friend like me. Because, as we discussed before, one of the biggest trends of this year and probably next are Disney reboots of classic films like Aladdin. Just post it again in the clear. This is who said this was a good idea? (laughs)
1: Tell me where you wanna go.
0: All of it. Oh, my goodness. Thanks to my guests who are rolling their eyes right now. Sydney Madden, editor at NPR Music. Scott Horsley, chief economics correspondent for NPR. Thank you both for being here. Thank are you going to go you. sing this song on karaoke this weekend? Oh, go yeah. karaoke the song this weekend. Yeah? No? Sydney? I won't no. be
2: invited back to the party. I need my friends, okay?
0: <laughs> All right. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our editors are Dana Hochman and Alex McCall. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. And our big boss NPR's senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman I also want to give a special note of thanks to Will Smith and DJ Khaled because in spite of that song I still like them both I do separately (laughs)
1: yes
0: yes alright thank you for listening to it's been a minute from NPR I'm Sam Sanders we'll talk soon go big time big time let me see your flex on flex on shine on